Today's gospel reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called, like, called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went, to him, went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has found the gospel of Jesus. I just wanted to take a few moments to introduce uh, our speaker today. I first met Rob uh, when he joined the board of Evangelicals for Justice, which is a group that we both are serving on now together. And I really got to know him last year when I traveled to Israel-Palestine for the first time. And I was on this tour and had all these questions and I... Facebook messengered him and asked him, hey, what do you, what's your thoughts on this? And so uh, he was my like onboard consult, uh, live consultant during my trip. And then I came back and uh, picked up one of his books called uh, These Brothers of Mine, A Biblical Theology of Land and Family in, Re in Response to Christian Zionism. And so uh, and it came to know Rob is a very gifted teacher and he's passionate about helping people grow in their knowledge of Jesus. Um, he has a PhD in biblical interpretation with an emphasis on revelation. And uh, he's currently doing a lot of teaching 
uh, but he also runs uh, this uh, website, podcast called Determined Truth. I encourage you, there's lots of great resources there about Israel-Palestine, about racism, about uh, Gospel of Luke, Revelation, and he's currently working on a commentary on Revelation called uh, a Revelation, A Love Story. And so that's due to be released later this year. And so it's a real privilege for us to have him here. So uh, uh, he, he hails from Phoenix, where he has four adult children, kind of spread around the country. But it's a, I've been able to ask him to stay an extra day when he came into town for a conference. And so we had a crash course on Revelation last night over the dinner table. <laughs> so you get a real treat from him this morning. So Rob, welcome. I can't help but teach, so sorry. We were at the dinner table last night, and I'm like, okay, you want to hear what I'm, what, what, I'm, what I'm working on? So thank you so much for letting me be here with you today. It's a privilege to worship with you and to serve you, uh, and I hope uh, to be a blessing to you as we begin the Word of God. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, uh, but let me begin by uh, kind of making two questions or two statements. One is, uh, do you read the Bible sometimes or often the way I often catch myself doing it? Assuming that Jesus was talking to them and not to me. Like, yeah, Jesus, you tell them I can't believe those Pharisees would do that kind of stuff. Right? Or you read the book of you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians. I, the, those Corinthians, I can't believe that. I would never do that. You tell them, Paul. Right? Or Isaiah. Those Israelites, unbelievable. You let them know, Isaiah. Right? The biblical authors are always speaking to them and not to me. Thank goodness. Second question I want to ask is, why did Jesus have so much trouble with the religious leaders? I mean, he taught nice things, he healed people, he fed 5,000, he cared for them, he raised the dead, he caused the blind to see. What's going on? Why is there so much trouble? So let's begin by looking at the parable of the prodigal son, as it's commonly called, although I don't think it's properly titled, and we'll get to that as we proceed. By beginning in Luke chapter 15, I'm going to start actually in verse 1. We're not going to read the whole thing, obviously we read it already. But 15, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Luke 15, verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm waiting for the slide to show on the screen. That's no problem. There you go. All right. Uh, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Now to really understand what's going on here, the first thing to realize is, okay, the Pharisees and tax collectors are grumbling. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? So Jesus tells them a parable. But let's step back a little bit further. Just gonna, I know you've been going through the Gospel of Luke with uh, Pastor Andrew. But at the, begin, the Luke begins his story with John the Baptist. I mean, you got the Christmas story, first couple chapters. And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene. And John the Baptist is preaching a gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repent, repent, repent. And then in Luke chapter 3, verse 10, the crowd says, well, what should we do? And John answered them, well, the man who has two tunics shirts should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. Oh, that's what repentance looks like. Then we skip through chapter 3, and Jesus is baptized, beginning in chapter 4. Then Jesus goes into Nazareth, as you might remember, and and, and speaks to the people in Nazareth and says, hey, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the anointed one that was promised to come. Luke 4 verse 18 says, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is our context for the gospel of Luke. If you have two tunics, give to the one who doesn't have any. If you have food, give to the one who doesn't have any. 
And Jesus announces his ministry is to preach good news to the poor. Luke 14, which you studied just recently, I believe, with Pastor Andrew last week, or in the last few weeks, Jesus is at a meal. And if you haven't noticed, Jesus is always at a meal in the Gospel of Luke. He's always eating with someone or somewhere. And the reason why that's the case is because meals, in the Roman world especially, reveal the cultural divide. Meals tell you who's in and who's not in. They showed you who was honored and who was not honored. Meals demonstrate your status or your lack thereof, namely because you're not there. The way meals work in the ancient world was to be honored to, to be invited to a meal was a sign of honor. But I would only invite you if you actually brought honor to me also. So I have so-and-so at my meal, which makes me an honored person because look who came to my meal. But there was also another catch. And that is if I invite you for a meal, then you have to invite me because now you owe me. It was a system of debt and obligation. Well, the reality was simple then. The poor aren't getting invited. They not only don't bring you any honor to your meal, they bring you dishonor, which is not going to get you anywhere in the society, but they can't pay you back. They only have enough food for themselves for the day. Maybe they certainly don't have enough to share. So Jesus tells the disciples in Luke chapter 6, he says, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything, anything back. And the disciples are like, why would I do that? A few verses earlier in Luke 6, he says, give without expecting anything in return. You're like, why would I do that? The whole idea of giving was so you could get something back. Because in that world, 90% of the population is struggling for daily survival. I don't have anything to give, so if I give, I, I need something back. And the wealthy gave because now you became in their service. And you owe them, and you honor them, and it gives them more honor and more esteem. So Jesus comes along and is like, I'm changing the rules. We're like, yeah, I don't think I like these rules, Jesus. I'm not sure I'm good for this. So then Luke 14 at the banquet, he says this. Luke 14, verses 13 and 14. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus does, simply doesn't understand the rules. This is not the way it works around here. Who is this guy walking into our society? To, that's not the way it works, Jesus. It does me no good. So Luke 15 begins with a question, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And you might realize the, the answer already. And that is, the tax collectors and sinners are the poor. You're like, well, wait a minute, tax collectors are wealthy. Yeah, but they're the poor. Because you see, the poor meant the ones who are outside, the ones who are not in, the ones who are not invited, the ones whom the religious leaders had excluded. You're, you don't follow the law. You don't follow the Torah. You're not in. The poor, the beggars, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes are certainly not in. Can't live. If Jesus knew what kind of woman she was, she wouldn't be in this meal. The Pharisees, of course, were the teachers of the law. 
And they thought it was their obligation to remind people what the law said and what it meant and how to apply the law in all situations. Now, one quick thing about, I'm a teacher, sorry, I just have to do this. So when you're reading the Gospel of Luke, you have to recognize the fact that, you know, we often do our devotionals. Today I read chapter 15, tomorrow I read chapter 16. Chapter breaks in Luke's Gospel you've got to be careful with. So Luke 15, clearly a beginning of a new scene. He was dining at a home, and the Pharisees come up to him and say, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? A scene change takes place. There's our chapter break. So he tells them this parable in verse 3. But you might notice that there's actually three parables that happen in the chapter. And then in chapter 16, verse 1, which I think Pastor Andrew will preach on next week, he was also saying to his disciples, which means chapter 15 he's speaking to the Pharisees, and then 16 he's like, now he talks to his disciples. And I think it's verse 14 in chapter 16, he says, and the Pharisees who were with them, he turns back to the Pharisees. And then in 17, verse 1, he turns back to his disciples. No scene change. One after another after another. So it's a long conversation. Now, obviously, we have to have chapter breaks, because otherwise we'd have like 150 verses. Turn to Luke 15, verse 175. We, you know, okay, so let's, let's break it up a little bit. My daily devotion is like three hours today, because Luke's got, you know, right? I can't do that. So we break it up. But be careful. Now, what you'll notice is Jesus tells them a parable in verse 3. But then in verse 8 of Luke 15, he just keeps talking, and there's another parable breaks out. And then verse 11, which we read already, Jesus continues, it says. Three parables. And here's the key to understanding these three parables. Notice that all three parables share three things in common. First, the main character has lost something. Man lost a sheep, woman lost the coin, man lost a son, father lost a son. What was lost is recovered and then restored, and then a celebration ensues. And you'll also notice that there's like an escalation in the three parables. One out of 100 sheep is lost, one out of 10 coins is lost, one out of two sons is lost. So Luke is, the, the biblical writers are artists, by the way, and really, really good artists. And when you start figuring out the artistry in it, it's like, this really comes alive. And I'm not gonna break into the book of Revelation right now because Andrew said I had to finish within an hour and a half. So I'm, I got my timer on me now, and I don't have enough time to do that. So All right, let's look at the, the first parable uh, very briefly. Luke 15, verse 3. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Uh, but no, notice what happens is a man loses his sheep. And, and the parable is, well, will he not pen up the other 99 sheep and go find the one that's lost? Of course he will. And what happens when he finds the lost sheep? Well, verse 6. It says in Luke 15, verse 6. He calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my sheep which was lost. Verse eight, Luke 15, verse 8, he tells another parable. The woman loses a coin. Now, it's probably her dowry, by the way, which is a headdress. woman gets divorced or loses her husband or whatever. That's all she has. This coin's very valuable. One out of ten of her coins. She needs it. She sweeps the house. She searches everywhere to find this lost coin. And guess what happens when she finds it? Luke 15, verse 9. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, because I found the coin which I had lost. Both of these stories, of course, have something lost that's found. And when they rejoice with me, it means, let's have a meal together. 
The man who lost his sheep and the, man and the woman who lost her coin are throwing a party. She might not be able to afford this, but she's doing it anyways. Rejoice with me. Let's have a meal together. Jesus, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? We should probably know the answer already, but if we don't, there's another parable breaks out. Verse 11. We call this parable the parable of the prodigal son. But notice, Jesus continued, verse, 12, verse 11, there's a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Did you notice that the older brother got his inheritance also? And by the way, the older brother gets a double share. In the ancient world, the, other, the firstborn son gets, a, gets two shares. So if there's five kids, the older brother gets two-sixths, and everybody else gets one-sixth. If there's two sons, he gets two-thirds, and the younger son gets one-third. Now, in order to understand parables, you have to understand the fact that, you know, we become familiar. If you've grown up in the church at all, and you've read these parables before, you're familiar with them, and you know what's going on. Parables had shock value. Things that wouldn't have made sense. The things that don't sound right. Father, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance? That's what he's asking for. You only get the inheritance when dad dies. Now, in an honor and shame culture, you brought the greatest. Dad, you know what? I really don't care for you a whole lot. Can I have my money? So what's the father supposed to do? What do you, get rid of this son. But he doesn't. He divides his inheritance and gives it to them. Whoa, wasn't expecting that. So then, of course, the son goes off and squanders the wealth and uh, wishes to be eating what the pigs were eating, which in a Jewish culture, you shouldn't be around pigs to begin with. That tells you what's going on, right? Because they don't eat pork. But he longed to eat with the pigs. And no one would give him anything. So then he comes to his senses in verse 17. And he thought, you know what I'll do? I'll go, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Can I at least be one of your hired hands? That, that's what I'll do. Now, you've got to understand something. This son ought not to come home. He has brought massive shame to the family. And if he returns home, he brings that shame back with him. The one, the one thing he should not do is go back. But he does. Verse 20 he got up and he went to his father. But while his father was still a long way off, he fought, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Like, what? That's not, now first off, men don't run in the ancient world. I'm a man of dignity. You can wait for me. So not only does the father welcome the son, he runs to him. He shows him compassion, which is only used three times in the Gospel of Luke. Once when Jesus heals, raises the woman's son from the dead. And once when he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And now the parable of what we call the prodigal son. Verse 22, the father says to his servants, Luke 15, 22. Father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Well, the best robe would have been the father's own robe. The son's being restored back to the family. He kisses him and embraces him. He's welcoming the son back to the family. You don't, you're not going to be one of my hired servants. You're, you're my son and you're home. 
welcome back. It's a public reception. It's a large feast. Let's kill a fattened calf. Well, a, a fattened calf would feed like 35 to 75 people. He's having a meal for the community because you're, the son is back. Let's celebrate. In other words, it's not the parable of the prodigal son. That's just a bad title. First off, the man has two sons, and they're both important to the story. But the word prodigal means to um, lavish extravagantly. And the one who lavishes extravagantly in the story is the father. The father's the true prodigal here. Now, there's something else to understand what's happening here. And that is, the story hasn't stopped. So when you tell an ancient story, ancient, you know, whether it's Hollywood and a Disney movie or just any other movie, any, any story, a good book, whatever, they have basically three main elements to any story. The first is that there's a setting. There was this king and a queen and they had a little pr a princess. There's your setting. Right? A man had two sons. There's your setting. And then there's a conflict. Hey, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have my inheritance? The conflict intensifies because the son gets his inheritance, but then he squanders it, and there's a famine, and he falls in need. Now it's getting, the son's in worse situation. It's getting bad. It's getting worse, right? So all of a sudden, the princess is in a, is in a, is in a tower, and she's being guarded by a dragon, and no one can get that. There's no way you can rescue that princess, right? It intensifies, and it gets so dire, it reaches a climax like this cannot be resolved. And then all of a sudden, there's a climax. I know what I'll do. I'll go home and say, Dad, I wish... Uh, to restore me, and I, I can be one of your hired hands. You're like, oh, that's not a good idea. I shouldn't do that. And he does, and then the father says, oh, come back, son. Oh, there's a resolution. And, all, and they all lived happily ever after. But then there's an older brother, and there's another story breaks out. That's why it's not called the prodigal, it shouldn't be called the prodigal son, because the story hasn't stopped. Another story breaks out. Now look at the next story, what happens? Verse 25, meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He's like, oh, he goes to one of the servants, hey, what's going on? Well, your brother's come home. What? No. Yeah, and your dad not only received him, he, he killed a fattened calf. Verse 28, he became angry and he was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Now notice the first thing. The older brother will not go into the banquet. He won't go in. Not only does he not go in, he shames his father by making his father come out to him. You don't make dad come out. You go to dad. <clears throat> and then look what he says in verse 29. He answered his father, look. You don't speak to your dad that way. All these years I've been slaving for you. You don't speak to your dad. You, you haven't been slaving for your dad. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, wouldn't even call him his brother, squandered all your property with prostitutes has come home, you killed a fattened calf for him. This is honor and shame written all over it, and, and the older brother's bringing shame now. So what does the father do? Verse 31. 
my son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, notice, this son of yours has become this brother of yours, was dead, was alive again. He was lost and is found. So the question at the beginning of the chapter was, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And the answer is simple. We had to be merry and rejoice. We, I, I have no choice. We had, what was lost has been found. The sheep, the coin, the son. We had to rejoice and celebrate. Your brother was dead. But now if you'll notice, the next story that broke out hasn't actually ended. We have a setting. The older brother was out in the field and heard what was going on. We have a conflict. Hey, go, he goes to the servant. What's happening here? Oh, your brother came home. Oh, you're kidding me. Conflict. Yeah, and your dad killed the fattened calf and is having a banquet for him. Conflict intensifies. The older brother conflict confronts the father. Gets even more intense. Look, dad, I just brought this son of yours. I slaved for you all these years. You never did this for me. Oh, but son, we had to be merry and rejoice. And then it stops. Well, what happened? That's just, that's not a good Hollywood, Hollywood. They, there's no, they are happily, they all lived happily ever. What happens? Does the older brother go in after all or not? Was the dad's answer sufficient or not? Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? We had to. And do you like that answer? Or do you not like that answer? Are you going to accept that answer and join us in the banquet? And we don't know if the older brother ever goes into the banquet. We're not told. Oh, actually, we kind of are if we keep reading chapter 16. Because remember, it's continuing. Now, here's the first point. It would never have entered the Pharisees' or religious leaders' minds. Remember, parables have shock values. And mind you, they didn't understand the parables. Jesus explained everything privately to his disciples, it says in Mark 4. But in the parable, the Pharisees are outside the banquet. They're not in. And it would never have entered their minds that they were not in the banquet. It's why are, the, why are you letting these guys in? And Jesus' answer is, these guys are in, and that's why they're in, because we're celebrating, because they were lost and have been found. But guess what? As you stand outside, are you going to come in also? To which they probably replied, who does this guy think he is? Now, it's important to understand, like, well, who was the younger brother, and who was the older brother? And this is what we commonly do with this parable, and we think, okay, well, the younger brother is the wayward sinner, Fine. Usually when we tell the parable of the prodigal son, we, we do, the, the parable is about a wayward sinner who was lost and has come home. And it doesn't matter how much sin you've done, how bad you've been, if you come back, the father will run out and greet you with open arms. And that's true. But there's more to the parable. It doesn't end there. All of a sudden, the older brother comes in. So, now, the older brother, of course, is the religious people. The ones who go to church every Sunday. Oh, I, I, didn't, say, I didn't say that. I, I, I didn't mean you. I, I'm not talking about you. Remember, it's about them. It's not about us. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to implicate you at all. I, my bad, my faux pas. Can, can we wipe that from the recording? Okay, okay, all right, okay, good. We'll make sure we get that off. The religious leaders, the ones who condemn Jesus for eating with the wrong people. These are the ones who think they're going to God's banquet because of all the things that they've done. I've slaved for you all these years. Of course I'm going. Hey, hey, Peter, let me in. In Luke 18, you'll have the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. I thank God I'm not like that guy. I fast twice a week. Only once a week is required. I give a tenth of all I get. Of course I'm in. That's the religious leader. That's the Pharisee. Of course, interestingly, we think that the parable is about the younger brother. It's not. It's the Pharisees to whom Jesus was speaking. Verse 3, he told them a parable. Chapter 16, he turns to his disciples. He's speaking to the older brother. So why does the second story, why does the, why does the parable about the, the older brother have no ending? Because you have to keep reading the story to find out if they come in the banquet or not. And when you get to the end of the gospel, they have him crucified, which means I guess they're not entering the banquet. Now, if you keep reading Luke's, Luke, remember Luke write, wrote Luke and Acts. In Acts 6, of course, many of the Pharisees or many of the priests were joining the movement. So some apparently did. But they crucified him first. And then they realized what they had done. So why do the religious leaders have so much trouble with Jesus? And the answer is, well, because he was eating with the wrong people. You see, the reality is the parable is about caring for the poor and the oppressed and the outcasts so that they might enter also. It was the parable is not simply about entering the banquet. That's important. Getting saved, becoming a Christian, repenting, no matter how bad you've been because the Father will welcome you. All that is true. But the parable is about welcoming the outcasts and the sinners and the poor and the needy and making sure they enter the banquet also. Even if that doesn't get you anything. Even if that doesn't put coins in your offering plate. Even if that costs you money. Don't worry, Jesus says. They'll welcome you into eternal dwellings. And now we stop and go, okay, what do we do with this? If Jesus is speaking to me, I got a nice home. I got a pool. I live in Arizona. I got a pool in my backyard. What do I do with this? Father, we thank you for the word that you've given to us today. We pray indeed that your mercy might be upon us. We thank you that we were wayward sinners and you welcomed us home. That you're a loving father, no matter how much shame we brought upon you, you, you kill the fattened calf, you give us the best robe, you embrace us with a kiss, and you welcome us home. But now you've called us to be your people who care for the poor and the oppressed and the outcasts, whether that's a Hollywood entertainer or the, whether that's the homeless person on the street next to us. And help us not to worry about advantages in this world, but simply to serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to rejoice because they were lost 
and now, now they've been found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.